Hey folks, Quinn here. Thanks so much for joining us for this very special Chief Stoney bonus episode of Monster Hour. We are releasing this episode as part of our one-year podversary celebration. The Earth has completed a whole rotation around the sun since we launched our first episode, which I can confirm is absolutely wild. You know, we never had big expectations for this show, and we have been absolutely blown away by how much folks have enjoyed it. We have listeners in every state, dozens of countries around the world, and close to 10,000 downloads on 30 awesome episodes. None of that, none of that would have been possible without all of the ratings and reviews and recommendations to friends and shoutouts on social media that you all have given. So from the bottom of all of our hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We are so appreciative of everything that you do. As part of our first anniversary celebration, we have two big announcements that I am super excited to share with you all. First, we have a Discord now. We have our own channel set up on the Cast Junkie Discord server, which is an awesome community of indie podcasts spanning every genre imaginable. If you're looking for a place to come chat about the show, what happened in the latest episode, your favorite characters, theories, fan art, you name it, with us and with other fans, then definitely be sure to come check it out. There's a link in the show notes that will take you straight there. Second, we have launched our Patreon, which is super exciting. Now, I know you may be asking yourself, why should I be excited about the opportunity of giving you lovable rapscallions money? And the answer, of course, is perks. From better recording equipment to GM and mystery notes to more bonus episodes and mini-campaigns like this one, Patreon will allow us to bring you more and better content. I'll be walking through each of the tiers and perks in our upcoming intermissions, but if your interest has already been piqued, you can go check it out at patreon.com slash monster hour. One final note on programming. Getting all this lined up has been a bit of an undertaking, and our crew could all use a short break. As such, our next regular episode will be coming out two weeks from today on August 18th. Until then, enjoy the episode and stay spooky. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Monster Hour. I am Quinn, your keeper of monster and mysteries. Joining me today is Austin. Hey, it's Austin. I'm back again, and I am playing Stony, the professional. So this is a, a special bonus episode of Monster Hour. This is a prologue, a prelude episode to our, our regular campaign. Austin is reprising his role as Chief Stony before he became Stony, a ways back, actually. We are going to go ahead and just jump right in. We open on a vast, sprawling desert, stretching as far as the eye can see. The gently rolling dunes are interspersed occasionally by more rugged hills and patches of tough shrub. 
Overhead, the sun beats down relentlessly, waves of heat rising up along the horizon. In the midst of this emptiness, tucked discreetly in the shadow of a craggy hill, is a tight knot of drab tents and bivouacs. We can just make out a few figures, clad in desert camo fatigues, patrolling the perimeter. Standing watch. The year is 1991. Our location, a U.S. Army Ranger forward deployment camp during the Gulf War. Ranger Specialist, Stony Locke. You have a little bit of time to kill before the mission briefing. Where do we find you? Yeah, so Stony at this time is is what, like early 20s? Yeah, I'm thinking like... Late teens, early 20s? Probably early 20s. Okay. Let's see. I think Stone, what was Stony like as this as a youngin? Um, I think if he's an army ranger, I think he has a fair amount of discipline. So I think he is probably cleaning his rifle right now. So you're you're cleaning out all the chambers. You're making sure everything is is well oiled and situated. What uh, this is a good opportunity. What equipment are you rocking today, Specialist Locke? I'm looking at the professional playbook, and and I think he's got assault rifle as a serious weapon. Mm-hmm. Three harm, far area, loud reload. So I think assault rifle is main. He might have a nine millimeter as a backup weapon. Makes sense. Sidearm. Yeah. So you're you're cleaning your rifle. And the camp is pretty quiet. It's starting to get towards sundown. And I think you are greeted by a call behind you. Stone man, what's going on? And you recognize the voice of Sergeant Ace Jackson, who is technically your direct superior, but also your good friend. You, you joined up at the same time, uh, and he just recently got this promotion, but you're still quite close despite the new hierarchy. He's a large man, like very well built. He's got the the very standard close, close crew cut. And he comes up and takes a seat next to you. Ace, how you doing, bud? You know how it is. Yeah, man. I, I tell you what, it's a it's a hot day today. Mm, every day. Making sure that thing's nice and clean for the mission later. Yeah, you know, look, I I, I know it's already clean. I just I think there's some comfort in it. Like, if I can trust my material, you know, if I know 100% that my tools are working all right, then what do I got to fear? I always admired that about you. You're diligent. Ah, thanks. Thanks, Ace. Uh, You know, man, I I learned it from you, bud. (laughs) Uh, I think he pulls out a carton of cigarettes and lights one, and uh, he offers one to you as well. I don't know if you're... I don't know if Stoney smokes. He sure did in 1991. <laughs> okay. Yeah, man, give me one of those. Man, that's the cool one with that cool desert animal, the camp, you know, that guy. He's so cool. I love all his commercials. <laughs> Inspiring, you know, to see a cool person like that smoking. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I feel like this this episode now needs a disclaimer of some variety <laughs> to be compliant. <laughs> Kids Hell yeah, the cool nicotine, yeah. Smoking is not I cool, I love kids. watching television. <laughs> smoking is not cool. Don't smoke. <laughs> Until you're 18. And then do what you want. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so you and Ace are enjoying the cigarette and looking out at the setting sun. It's just quiet for a little while. You know, there's a lot of quiet time when you're out on deployment. A couple minutes roll by and finally he takes a last drag and crunches the cigarette beneath his boot. 
You ready for the mission? Look, man, you know, I've trained all I can train. I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to face what's in front of me, but I, I don't know what that's going to be. So let's just say, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I feel like we should establish some like history between you and Ace. Because you two have been serving together for, I think, probably two years now. Okay. Like, what do you think brought the two of you together? Like, on the battlefield or just, you know, on a day-to-day basis? Like, what do you think made the two of you close? Um, I'm going to say comic books. I okay. think there was some, like, underground comic books that one of us sort of brought in when there was just nothing interesting to do. I think we sort of got into, like, this comic book underground ring of, of like trading and swapping and trying to get more comics into the base and then maybe we both got in trouble for it but uh (laughs) they're probably not restricted i don't know enough about that but you know i think it was like you know it was too fun we were enjoying it too much like it was too much fun that we were yeah you you were you were slacking you weren't like you know performing your duties Mm -hmm. you know bunk wasn't properly made or or you know Things weren't right. like, polished in the right place, all that. Right. And I would say we never we weren't geeks. Like we didn't come from a geek community or anything. Like we weren't, you know, already comic book fans, but I think it was sort of like something that became an escape from the realities of going into a war that we didn't think we were gonna be signing up for. Mm-hmm. What's Stoney's favorite comic, do you think? I think his favorite comic was sort of a cheesy, like kind of a golden age kind of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, have him be sort of like Greek inspired, kind of like, you know, like Thor or, you know, not Greek inspired, but, you know, like ancient God inspired. Um, mm-hmm. Then maybe it's like Hermes, kind of a the Flash meets Thor, like Hermes character. <laughs> and so he, you know, he's got the winged sandals and he can go really fast and, you know, it's sort of this like gee whiz kind of character. I like it. Yeah. And, and so he would outwit his enemies and and could you know go fast and was kind of a trickster that's amazing because i was actually thinking that ace's favorite hero was the flash oh okay so that's like it's a perfect segue for them bonding because they have yeah because they both love the same or similar heroes yeah 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 i think ace loves we're just going to call this hero Hermes. Yeah. I think Ace loves Hermes because he's a big guy and he does not move very quickly. And so like, it's kind of like a, a nice escapism for him. It's like mm. that he really enjoys. So maybe different reasons for the fandom, but like super into it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe tonight we're like, hey man, uh, you see that new Hermes comic? You know, he fights that big panda. Now, is that the one where he runs so fast that he goes back in time? Yeah, man, he goes back and, t- and then like, it's like a side dimension where like there's pandas everywhere. That shit kills me, man. And like the big evil panda took over like Panda New York. And so he had to like, oh man, that, that chuckled me up, man. New Panstradam. <laughs> I heard it used to be called New Amsterdam. So you, you, you get the joke. I don't know, man. Those writers, I don't know what they're doing. They're running out of ideas <laughs> for. I tell you what, Stone Man, maybe after this is all over, you and I can go write some comic books back in New York City. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. You know, next week we got a little bit of extra time on base. We should we should start cooking up some concepts, you know? Hell yeah, man. Let's do it. I think the two of you are, are having this conversation about uh, Hermes and, and writing comic books. And uh, a really young guy comes over and he's like, all right, y'all, it's time to mount up. It's time for the briefing. Come on, let's go. Let's get it on. It's a private first class Dax Brewer. It's from Texas. I don't think the part of Texas that you're from, Specialist Lock, but definitely, definitely a cowboy. You've been serving together for, I think, just a couple months, and uh, he's already, 
Well, I don't know. You tell me if he's gotten on on your right side or your wrong side, but he's definitely like a shoot from the hip, go get him. Very brave, but also some might call reckless. Sure. I think Stoney is probably still in that age of his youth where he's still very impressionable. I think he has a hard time just seeing people negatively. I think he's he's really just like a big sponge. He's sort of soaking in everybody and thinking like, oh, wow, he's cool. Yeah. All right. That's cool, too. <laughs> All right. So I think he's a little inspired by him. Okay. So PFC Brewer comes and claps the two of you on the back and says, All right, y'all, let's go. Time for the briefing. Cool. Let's do it. You head to the command tent where the rest of your platoon is gathered. There's about 40 of you, all told. And at the head of the tent is Lieutenant Diaz, who is the, the head of your platoon. All right, folks, have a seat. We've got new orders from command. The aerial assault campaign has severely weakened the Iraqi position. In three days, coalition forces will begin a major ground offensive, co-named Desert Storm. But as you know, rangers lead the way. Our mission is to secure control of a high-profile strategic and cultural asset in advance of the armored divisions, an antiquity site located in a defensible high ground position. Intelligence does suggest there may be hostile presence at this location. We will be departing this camp at 0300, and we expect to arrive at 0600. Sir, Any yes, questions? Sir. <laughs> I like your attitude. And I think the room is quiet. Sir, what kind of threat are we, are we looking at? Diaz looks at you and says, It's possible there may still be some members of the Iraqi military there. Uh, it's possible there may be some irregular military forces as well. And although the site was not explicitly targeted during the aerial campaign, it's possible that there may be structural damage that we need to be cognizant of. All right. Thank you, sir. Any other questions? When do we go? Oh, 300, specialist. Pay attention. <laughs> Clean the sand out of your ears. <laughs> you got it, sir. And you all break. It is the middle of the night when you leave. Not technically midnight, I suppose, but oh, 0300. It's three in the morning. Uh, it is dark and the stars overhead are bright and gleaming. The journey takes about three hours and you arrive at your destination shortly before dawn the horizon glowing bright orange and yellow. The village ahead of you on a gently sloping hill is composed of about 20 beige and ecru buildings, mostly one or two stories, in a fairly compact arrangement. Even from a distance, you can tell that the structures appear to be damaged, from small pieces missing to collapsed walls and ceilings. But there is no sign of any activity as you and the rest of your squad begin to fan out in small fire teams and make your approach. You are on a team with Sergeant Jackson, PFC Brewer, and Private Whitney, a very, very green, fresh recruit, but generally seems to have a good head on his shoulders. It doesn't take you long to realize and to receive the information from the rest of your team via radio that this site is empty. There are no people here. Huh. There's nobody here, you guys. That's... Downright strange, if you ask me. What was our intel? Intel said there were people here. Intel said there might be people here. 
Yeah. All right. Intel's not perfect. You know what they say about military intelligence. Yeah. Well, I don't like it. Makes it easier for us, if you ask me. All right. Well, everybody keep your eyes out, you know? Let's keep clearing. Specialist Luck, why don't you go ahead and roll to investigate a mystery for me? You got it. And that is under Sharp. Yes. Yes. Okay. Here we go. First roll. That is a five. Wait, plus one. Six. (laughs) Okay. I think you're working your way through, and you step in to clear one of the buildings, and as you do so, you trip over something that you were not expecting, and you fall to the ground, and sand just splashes up into all of your gear, Uh, and I think you're going to take a minus one forward, so the next time you use your any of your weapons, you're going to take a minus one forward due to this like grit and, and God sand. God damn it. Why do I clean this if this is just going to happen? And Ace comes up behind you, lifts you up off the ground, and says, alright, stone man, you gotta stay on your feet. You're going to let a body trip you up? I tripped over- wait, I trip over a body? You turn around and look and see that It was mostly concealed beneath sand, but near the doorway to this building is a body. It appears to be a Iraqi civilian, and what strikes you immediately as a soldier is that they very clearly weren't killed by gunfire. Mm. The body that you see looks desiccated. Mm. It looks horribly dried out and weather-worn. You would almost say mummified, but lacking any any of the wrappings. But it looks completely dried out. Like an old like ice mummy or something. Yeah. Uh, and it is mostly buried in sand. Holy shit. How old is this body? You're the medic specialist. Check it out. Yeah, I'm going to investigate. Yeah, I'm going to take a look. Give me another roll to investigate a mystery. Okay. Uh, that is a five. Okay. There will be no mystery solved today. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you you move over and you make a move to investigate. And as you place your hands on this body, it straight up crumbles. Like, it just crumbles into dust. You saw that, right? Uh, Did I find like a mummy that's like an ancient corpse? Uh, the hell? And I think PFC Brewer entered just prior to this. They're like, what the hell did you do, man? You gotta follow some basic protocols here. Hey, I'm as confused as you are. I tripped over the dang thing. You know, it's weird. Let's let's case the joint. I don't like this. You examine the rest of the building and you don't see... You don't find any other bodies. You do see that it looks pretty weathered beyond the structural damage. There's also just a lot of signs of wear and tear, almost as though it's like old. But there is still modern, like this is still a relatively modern building. Yeah, it looks almost artificially weathered. Weird. But you don't find any other people in there living or dead. Well, all right. I guess we should move on, huh? Mm -hmm. Just don't, you know, watch where you step and don't touch anything. The four of you continue through your sweep and... I think after 10 or 15 minutes, you hear on your radio, Lieutenant Diaz. Bravo Squad, report to the North Quadrant. We need 
Assistance? Yes, sir. Over. You and the rest of your squad make your way that direction. And I think there's some subsequent orders for Charlie and Delta to take up positions, defensive positions. But you are rendezvousing with Alpha Team. You make your way to a relatively unassuming building and head inside. And you can see Alpha Team there. But they are not the most interesting things in this building. In front of you is what appears to be some sort of dig site, although for what is not immediately clear. There's some equipment in this area, floodlights, industrial fans, assorted hand tools, but it has all either been destroyed or is just scattered around this large open room in disarray. And at the center of all of this is what appears to be a carefully excavated passageway that leads downward into the darkness. The air coming up from it is hot and dusty. Holy crap. What'd you guys find? It's a very good question. Looks like some sort of dig site. Not sure for what. Bravo, we're going to need you to go down in there and check it out. Secure whatever is in there while we hold down the exterior here. Yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. Ooh, We're on it. Boy. Hey, off the record, I, this is cool as hell. Let's go, Hermes. <laughs> Let's do it. Is there anything you would like to do at the exterior before you go in? I think, hmm, it's probably worth kind of looking around. Probably, I can try investigating a mystery. Sure. Give me a roll. Okay. Let's see how many times you can fail investigating a mystery. <laughs> I'd love to know. That is going to be an eight. Okay, that is not a failure. All right. Uh, hold one. I think what happened here, yeah. Lieutenant Diaz gives you some time to get ready. I think the rest of the team is using that to check their flashlights and the rest of their equipment, just make sure that they're prepared. But Specialist Locke, you take a bit of time to walk around. And coming through the equipment, you can tell a few things about what happened here. First is that this passageway was intentionally excavated. It's not clear if it existed before, but it's not naturally occurring to the extent that it exists now. It was excavated carefully. The tools that you find are hand tools. They're not power tools. And the current status of all of the equipment makes it look like it was all blasted outward from the entrance to this passageway. Mm, okay. So they came out this way, not necessarily went in? That's a reasonable interpretation. Hmm. Does it look like people made an effort to, like, reinforce the holes? Like, were they, was it, you know, is it like, are there support structures? Yes. Okay. This passageway was meant to last. Okay. Although I will say some of them look like they've been slightly damaged. Yeah, then I'll probably point that out. So, hey, you know, it's interesting. It looks like they meant this as sort of a long-term thing. We might have company down there. Good eye, specialist. Stay frosty. Will do. The rest of the team is now ready, and so the four of you start heading down this tunnel. It gets quite narrow once you're past the entry point and winds several turns and corners, and you get a deep sense of claustrophobia. It is hot and stale even below the ground, 
and the walls seem like they press inwards towards you as you make your way inside. There are no branches in the tunnel, no alternate pathways. And so you know when you arrived at your destination, because it is the only place that you could arrive. A small chamber, about 10 feet by 10 feet. It's just barely tall enough for you to stand in. You are the tallest person in your squad, so it's maybe a little bit more comfortable for the rest. But for you, it is quite small. And at the center of this cramped chamber is a disc. It is about six feet in diameter. And as the beam of your flashlight passes over it, its black metal surface gleams back at you. Hey, we got something here. The rest of your team has certainly noticed, and they start fanning out to take a look at it. And Ace approaches it cautiously and just is kind of looking it over. Ace, what do you see? I don't rightly know. Maybe some sort of antiquity, some sort of artifact of some kind? Well, whatever you do, you know, I... (laughs) I, the last thing I touched turned to dust, so uh, maybe we, we have some kid gloves here, you know? And you see Dax Brewer, like, leaning over it with his, his flashlight. Hey, Whitney, look at this. <laughs> this is crazy. Take a look. Hey, guys, you know, let's not get too distracted. We're on a job here. You know, we're looking for people, uh, not discs. So uh, let's uh, let's keep our eyes out and keep moving if we can. So this chamber is the end of the line. The tunnel does not go any further. I guess we might as well look around. This is what they were digging for. Give me a roll to investigate a mystery. Let's do it. Oh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) It's a five. Oh my goodness. Okay. Tell me what you're looking for. Like, tell me what you're looking around. What does it look like as you're investigating this? I think Stoney is looking for more signs of life and signs of intent what they were setting up for, what they were, you know, really trying to get out of out of this endeavor. You're looking around, and unlike up top, you don't see any equipment down here. There's really nothing except for this disc. And I think as you're looking around, you feel something just lightly land on your head. And you realize that a bit of dirt has fallen on your head from the ceiling above. Hey, y'all, uh, don't move too suddenly. Just be aware some dirt has landed on my head and it might not, it might be nothing, but it also might be an unstable place that we have walked into. And, uh, I don't know, get into it under a door frame or, uh, <laughs> under a desk, uh, if possible, but just be aware that this could cave in at any moment and be mindful of it. As you are saying that, I think everyone kind of stops and freezes. And for a second, there's just silence as everyone's trying to make sure that this place you're in is is still stable. And then Ace's radio crackles on. The signal isn't great. It's difficult to hear. But I think you can barely make out the words hostile contact and bravo team. Shit. We gotta move. They need backup. If that's what they need, let's move. Let's go. Move out. The four of you begin moving up the tunnel. Ace is at the front. You're right behind, followed by Brewer and Whitney. And just as you are leaving this chamber, you hear a scream behind you. You look back and Whitney is, it looks like 
sliding backwards into the room, almost as though he's falling downhill, even though it's just a, a slight grade down. And so the only thing that makes sense to you is that somehow he's being pulled, but you can't tell by what. Whitney, help! Uh, Something's got me. I, I, I go. I run towards. I run towards him. Okay. If you wanted to read a bad situation, you certainly could at this moment. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read a bad situation. Go and give me that roll. Okay. And when I do that, I have the ability tactical genius. Wow. A little like high and mighty, but okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, our so the, before I had <laughs> battlefield awareness, but uh, we've shifted a few things with the playbook. I've got heavy combat armor now mm-hmm. instead of a flak vest. And uh, so therefore I've got tactical genius, which lets me use plus cool instead of plus sharp for read a bad situation. So yeah, fits your military training. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a seven. Okay, that is a mixed success. So go ahead and hold one. I think it's got to be what's the best way to protect the victims right now. I think your initial instinct is correct. Something is pulling or dragging Private Whitney. You need to get to them and stop them from being dragged in. Okay, I'm going to try to dash forward as much as possible and, and grab hold. Give me a roll to protect someone. Okay. Five, six, seven, eight. It's an eight. On a seven plus, you protect them okay, but you are going to suffer some or all of the harm they were going to get. Oof. How does it look as you save Private Whitney? Tell me um, about saving Private Whitney. <laughs> well, it all started on D Day. <laughs> see, uh, no, I we think we go back it's another be... fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those big like my arm, my hand grabs his elbow, basically like a full sort of forearm to forearm grip. And I can just try to pull as much as I can. So you grab hold of Private Whitney and you brace and you feel a a strong pull back towards this chamber. But then it stops and whatever it is releases Private Whitney and they go scrambling back up the tunnel. And I think to do this, you had to drop your gun. And so your flashlight is is lowered. And on the ground, you can see this shifting snake-like coil of sand moving on its own. As it releases Private Whitney's leg, it rears back and lashes out towards you and strikes you square in the chest, and you feel the wind just get knocked straight out of you. You're going to take two harm, okay, which will not harm you with your combat armor. Oh, that's right. No, it will not. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I... (laughs) Obviously, normally he would react very strongly to that. I think he's just doubled down on all fours at this point. But he's got to get out of there. I'm going to just try to scrabble backwards to try to get out of the chamber and make sure, you know, Whitney's already should be already running, hopefully. Yeah, PFC Brewer has Whitney by the arm and they're they're making their way up the tunnel. So it's you're the you're the closest target for this sort of featureless snake of sand. Yeah, I might try to make an attempt to get to my gun. Your gun, I think, is on a, a sling. Like, I think you've still okay. got a hold of it. So okay. I think the question is, if you want to fire it, and if so, are you trying to lay down some cover or are you trying to, like, do some damage? That'll I, determine what you want to roll. I think he's not going to try to fire until he's, like, out of the room. He's going to try to just back up as much as possible before kind of remembering that I can even shoot at it. Give me a roll to act under pressure. That is seven. 
Uh, on a seven to nine, I'm going to give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. I'm going to give you a choice here. I think either this thing is going to lash out at you again on your way out, it is going to ensnare you as you try to escape, or it is going to pursue you in unexpected ways. I think I'm going to have to just have it pursue me in unexpected ways. Do you still have your light on it as you run or are you full turn and run? Like, is this a, a careful retreat or is this a full out sprint away? No, I think this is a careful retreat. Okay. I, I don't really want to have my back to it. Fair. So you're bringing up the rear of your squad, yeah. moving as quickly as you can backwards. And you see this, it looks almost like a river. It looks almost like a river of sand start snaking its way up the tunnel. And then you see another one winding its way up one of the walls and a third working its way up the ceiling. And as you make your way out, all of these small tendrils of sand are serpentining up the tunnel around you. You clear the exit to the passageway and the rest of your squad is there. But as you do so, all of these tendrils come snaking out of the tunnel around you. And there are now five tendrils of sand whipping around this small building. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think around you, you see Sergeant Jackson is standing at the entrance to the building with Private Whitney. I think you can tell immediately they're on the same page. PFC Brewer is shooting at the tendrils. I think at this point, I will also open fire. Are you trying to do damage or are you trying to protect a brewer? I think I want to do damage to them at this point. I want to know my enemy if we can stop them because we're going to keep running, but we got to do something. Give me a roll to kick some ass. Got it. 10. On a 10 plus, you inflict harm as established and you get to choose an extra effect. Okay. You gain the advantage, take plus one forward, or give plus one forward to another hunter. You inflict terrible harm, plus one harm. You suffer less harm, minus one harm. Or you force them where you want them. It's got to be force them where I want them. Where do you want them? If I can get them back inside the tunnel, use maybe grenades to try to take out the uh, support structures and kind of trap them inside. Yeah, okay. So we'll say that PFC Brewer has grenades. So the two of you in tandem open fire. I think as this is happening, one of the tendrils of sand whips out at you and lands a forceful blow again on your torso. You are going to take two harm again. You're protected by your armor. Right. And in turn, your gunfire cuts through these sand serpents. You almost disrupt the like integrity of their formation. Mm. And they all collapse one after one. And you can see the sand pooling around the entrance to this tunnel but pfc brewer pulls the pin out of a grenade lobs it into the tunnel and just a few seconds later there is a loud explosion that rings in your ears and you can feel the reverberations in your boots and you hear and see that tunnel collapse great <laughs> and we want to just keep on moving out of there so you exit the building and you can tell immediately that something is not right because outside there is a sandstorm brewing. The wind has picked up. You can feel the bite of small particles of sand against your face. Your visibility is 
pretty severely diminished. And there was no sign of any inclement weather when you went down there just 10, 15 minutes ago. Did we get out here in vehicles? That's a good question. Let's say yes. Let's say you had a a Humvee. Okay. Yeah, because we got to get to that. I think also as you exit this building, your radio crackles on again and you have a bit better reception now. The signal is a bit better and you can hear Lieutenant Diaz's voice come on. Delta, report. Delta. Delta, do you copy? Charlie? Charlie, do you copy? Bravo. Bravo, are you there? We're here, Alpha. Thank God. Listen, we're pinned down just outside of the East Quadrant in a two-story structure. It's a giant sand fist. It's trying to batter us down. We need backup. Roger that. We got some wild shit over here too, sir. We'll make it happen. We'll be there. Your squad heads out, and it doesn't take you long to recognize where you need to be going. You can hear, and as you get closer, see gunfire. As you approach, you see a possibly even stranger sight than what you just witnessed. Up ahead of you, there is a massive hand about the size of your Humvee, composed entirely of sand, that is battering this building. And you can see it is caving in the walls, and this building has maybe a minute before it goes down. What do you do? I'm going to read a bad situation. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> solid idea. That seems pretty solid. Go ahead and read, uh-huh. read a bad situation. Okay. You tactical genius, you. <laughs> Good news, because that's an 11. Okay, there we go. No more. Stoney was not meant to investigate mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's not a Scooby gang kind of guy. On a 10 plus, hold three. All right. It's going to be best way in, best way out, best way to protect. I think this massive hand seems to be focused on the side of the building that already has been damaged previously. And on the other side, there is a doorway. It's still structurally sound. So you could get in and you could get out that way. And the best way to protect the victims would be If some combination of your squad distracted this thing, while some other combination of your squad went in and got everyone in there out through that doorway. Okay. Since I'm one of the bigger guys, I think Ace and I will go in for the victims and I can have, you know, I I know that I've been giving a lot of orders here, but you know, in weird situations, we can just sort of say that, uh, who's to say what the chain of command really is, you know? Yeah. In a crisis, it's, uh, you know, whoever makes the most sense, I yeah. think. I think Ace has been backing you up. I think Ace has given some orders as well, but they're a little shell-shocked. And I think uh-huh. we'll say as the support specialist for your squad, you're commonly in charge of manning the radio, so it makes sense for you to be doing all of the communication with the other squads. Yeah, totally. And that's how it fits the narrative. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I think I tell Brewer and Whitney to start firing on that thing on the other side while uh, Ace and I go in. Ace looks at you and he's like, all right, let's go, Hermes. Rangers lead the way. So the two of you make your way inside as Whitney and Brewer start opening fire. And I think as you enter the doorway, you can hear one last structure rattling pound before this thing's attention seems to be diverted and the quaking stops. You head inside and you see Lieutenant Diaz and what remains of his squad. You can see there is uh, one private who is dead. 
straight up. It looks like he fell, like he was on part of the second story and got knocked off. And you can see another individual who looks like he has a uh, a broken arm. But Diaz and the sergeant of Alpha Team are both okay. Then I think we're going to point them in the right direction. If, they, if they're okay to move, then we're going to point them where to go. And then I'll grab the body and I'll have Ace probably grab the guy with the broken arm. You give them the instructions and you start hauling the injured and dead out. And you, you clear this building. And as you do, you see Private Whitney fly over you about 25 feet past you and collide with a building and fall in a mangled heap on the ground. And you see Brewer falling back towards you, shooting wildly at this hand, which is encroaching on you. Whitney, come on, bud. Uh, I run up. To, I have to run up to him. Yeah, he is dead. He's dead. Um, I've got another guy. I'm just, I, you know, we're not supposed to leave anyone behind, but I'm just going to drop him and grab Whitney and go. You shoulder Whitney and your team starts taking off. What's the plan? I know you're not the CEO, but like the story is about you. So even if it's Diaz giving the orders, like tell me what's, what the plan is. Like, what does this look like? We've got a pile into this Hummer. They've tried shooting. And I think the most logic they can have is just to clear out. To them, I think there's not a lot of logic to apply to it other than sort of like sandstorm logic of like, this is like a natural disaster is the closest they can get to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is just to retreat. You can't fight a storm. You got to go in the direction that doesn't look like there's anything, you know? If they can go back to base, if they can go somewhere that looks clear, then I think they got to floor it and go in that direction. Okay. Give me a role to act under pressure as what remains of Alpha and Bravo try to make it to the Humvee, which is on the outskirts of this village. All right. Well, uh, that's going to be a six. Oof. Okay. You all are running and PFC Brewer is kind of taking up the rear, like almost a little too excited about all this. And this hand moves towards them, and they're just opening fire with their assault rifle. And you can see little holes starting to appear in it, and more and more of these holes appear. And just as it's about to collide with Brewer, it falls into tatters, and just a spray of sand washes over him. And he lets out a raucous, yeehaw, and turns back to look at you all. And as he does, he is abruptly yanks beneath the sand and disappears. Brewer! He is just in an instant gone. And Ace grabs you by the shoulder and says, we gotta go, man. We gotta go. Come on. We gotta get... We're not going digging through the sand. Let's go. All right, go. Keep going. You, Diaz, Jackson, and the other sergeant keep going towards the Humvee. As you do, you can see moving beneath the sand... Almost like sharks beneath the water, just these long tendrils snaking out around and towards you as you're making your way towards the Humvee. Since I'm still carrying Whitney, and if we just lost Brewer, I might be thinking just as far as the dead weight, you know, I'm sorry, man. And then I let go of Whitney. I don't know if this plays into your realization or if it comes after, but you also realize that you have no idea where the entirety of Charlie or Delta are. Yeah, I was hoping, you know, We wouldn't have to worry about that yet. 
Yeah. But. Hey, maybe they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they're probably just hanging out. It's probably fine. <laughs> and you unshoulder Whitney and start moving faster to try to keep up with everybody else. And as you do, you can see the body just sink beneath the sands. We'll come back for you, soldier. We'll come back for all of you. You arrive at the Humvee. All of you pile in, and the sand is just beating down on this vehicle. Just the sandstorm. Like, just this thick, sand-pasted wind. It sounds like like hail, almost. Who's driving? Whoever would have been the first one at the front, I think it probably would have been Diaz. So the lieutenant hops in the front, and everyone piles in, and they punch it and start tearing out away from this village down the hillside. And in the rearview mirror, you can see this wave of sand rising up in pursuit of you. What do you do? I'm going to reach for my gun again at this point. Um, yeah. We forgot about the minus, what was it, minus one or minus two to the sand getting in my my gear. Oh, we did, didn't we? Uh, so, but I think this is the time where it will manifest. I think that will finally catch up to me. Yeah, that's a good idea. Where okay. I will I will be firing and probably <laughs> not have any luck at it. I, but I can I can give it give a kick some ass to see what happens. Okay, give me a roll to kick some ass. So that's a ten. What do I subtract from that for the sand in your gun? For the sand in the gun. Yeah, so that's minus one. So down minus to a one. nine. So nine. Yeah. Are you like popping the top and like opening fire facing backwards? Are you like leaning out the window? What's what's I the situation? Think I, I think it'd be the hood okay. just because it's the coolest. <laughs> yeah. It'd be the coolest. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So you open the top of the Humvee and turn around to open fire and you can see that this wave of sand is cresting above you. You take aim and open fire in a line straight down, cutting through it. And it parts most of the way before it crashes over your Humvee. You are going to take three harm. It's going to get through to me. Yeah. So that's one to you. Yeah. And this wave concusses you backwards into the vehicle. And it, it almost knocks the whole vehicle off of its path. But Diaz is a good driver and he manages to keep it upright. You regain your bearings and you look back and there's no wave behind you. And for a moment, I think everyone is just quietly waiting, holding their breath to see if it's over. And then at your feet on the floor of the Humvee, you feel something moving up your leg and you look to see a pool of sand running up your torso and the tendril lashes out at Lieutenant Diaz's sergeant, clocks him in the head, and knocks him out of the door of the Humvee. Oh, Quinn, I don't like this. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Okay. Yikes. Uh, so there's, there's a creature in the car. Yes. Boy, I guess I can't really use an assault rifle right now. Um, I'm going to read a bad situation. Go and give me a roll. Okay. This is pretty bad. This is not great. No. Uh, and I rolled two ones. Oh. <laughs> I rolled two ones. Now I get to add to that, but it's not Probably really not matter. enough. No. No, I can roll plus cool. So that's a plus two. So that's a four. So, you know, it's not a two. It's not, not nothing. Okay. Okay. 
I think you try to take a beat just to think just for a second. And this tendril of sand rears back and you and Ace and Diaz all flinch. But instead of going for you, it drives straight down and you hear the sound of metal groaning and shattering and it drops out through the floor of this Humvee and you hear a loud thud as it's taken most of the undercarriage and equipment out of this Humvee as it drops out. But Quinn, we need that. We need that. <laughs> Quinn, you do, we need that stuff. You do, you do need that. <laughs> we need that. Uh, and you, you, Why can, would it take that? you can hear the Humvee starting to, to slow. Yeah, I bet. I think then at that point, I'm going to have us all bail. We got to just run. We just got to run on foot. Yeah, it's unspoken. Everyone just leaps out of the Humvee and starts heading out on foot. And I think you can see this serpentine form of whatever this is melt back into the sand. And as it does, the waveform starts to emerge again. Can I see if there's anything around? Like, were we on a road and were we sort of passing through cities or? No, you're very, very off the grid. Okay. You know, are we talking just kind of like scrublands basically at this point? Like there's not yeah, like a building, there's nothing to take cover from. Yeah, there's occasional hills, but almost nothing. Then cardinal directions. You know, if I knew roughly which way the base was or, or you know, if we were generally, you know, east or south of the base or something that I could I could sort of figure out at least a direction to move. You definitely know the direction of the base. So you can run that direction if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, I mean, we're not going to make it there. So maybe it doesn't make sense, but nothing makes sense. So I think he just wants to run in the direction of the base. The three of you are running and this wave is beginning to mount behind you. It seems almost like it's taking its time, which is an unsettling sensation. Right. And Lieutenant Diaz stops. He looks at the two of you, pulls up his radio and says, this is Lieutenant Marco Diaz, U.S. Army Rangers. I need an air sortie at my location. Coordinates to follow. And his gaze drops for a moment, and then returns to the two of you. Run. And he turns back and starts opening fire on this wave of sand that's headed towards you. We nod, and we run. Behind you, hear gunfire for a little bit, and then it stops. Do you look back at all, or do you just keep running? Not one bit. Just keep running. You can hear the sand creeping up behind you, slowly and inexorably. But before it reaches you, you hear the familiar sound of a United States Air Force jet flying past you. And behind you, there is a deafening explosion. And then everything goes black. When you awaken, you are in a hospital bed. It is bright and peaceful, if a bit sterile. And sitting by your bedside are two men. One of them you recognize. He is a older man, his late 30s, he's dressed in army fatigues, and you can tell immediately that it is Colonel McKinley, 
the commander of your branch of the incursion. The other you don't recognize. He's a man in his 40s. He has kind of a, a lantern jaw, very dark piercing eyes, and he's wearing a neatly pressed black suit and black tie. Who's the suit? <clears throat> Special Agent O'Shaughnessy, Defense Intelligence Agency, Aberrant Events Division. You're lucky to be alive, son. Uh, I wouldn't say lucky, sir. My being alive is the direct result of a lot of brave men. Luck had nothing to do with it. Quite a ordeal you went through. Care to tell us about it? What do you know already? We have a report from a U.S. airman who flew the sortie. It was a sandstorm, sir. Big one. One like I've never seen before. I can't really give you more details than that. Because I don't really know him, and I'd get him wrong. Special Agent O'Shaughnessy looks at the colonel, and the colonel nods, and he nods, and he turns back to you and smiles ever so slightly. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. I think as long as we can all agree on that, then I think we can all agree you have served your country to the highest distinction. I'll see to it personally that you receive a proper commendation for your service. I'm thinking at least a Purple Heart, maybe a Medal of Honor. Let me see what I can do. A honorable discharge, get you back stateside, and uh, a nice civilian career. Law enforcement, perhaps? We can talk about it. Thank you, sir. I would say Stoney lost a lot of taste for comic books on that day. Yeah. And also, uh, definitely not not excited to watch the Mummy franchise. <laughs> that was uh, a bad trailer, you know, with the face comes out. When the face comes out of the sand and he's like, no, I got to leave this theater. Yeah. You never saw a face, but I think it's maybe just a little too close to home. Yeah. What do we think happened to Ace? I think Ace survived. You keep in touch? No. No, we don't. No, I think we I think we stopped talking. I think we understood that silence was expected. And I think if we talked, it would be a reminder that that really happened. The military made it easy to forget. And he was okay with that. Until he moved to firmament. And maybe sometimes now he thinks about Ace. I think that's the perfect place to end it. Yeah. Thank you, Austin, for reprising your role. And it was a little heavy, but I'm, I'm really glad we got to do this and, and delve a little bit more into Stoney's backstory since uh, it was mostly combat last time you, you joined us. Yeah, man, that was a trip. That was really fun, dude. Thanks a lot. Austin, you want to you wanna tell us where else we can find you and can find your work? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at AustinAbridged. And you can also uh, check out my podcast to Saturday Morning Tuesdays on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, Google, uh, wherever you want to find it and, uh, and check me out. Thank you again for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. That will conclude our special bonus episode of Monster Hour. Until next time, keep it spooky.